If you could have a conversation with anyone in history, what would you ask them? Hello, General Washington. Good day, Miss Tubman. I had to know, so I decided let's give him a call. Welcome to the Calling History Podcast. Welcome back to part two of Peggy Shippen. Well, we've covered quite a bit in episode one, and if you haven't noticed yet, Peggy can be a little snarky at times. But this is not surprising, considering that her life began with pretty dresses and a life of privilege. Then just a couple years after meeting her husband, she's abandoned with a child. She's being called a traitor. She's forced to move away from her family. And then being questioned by the most powerful man in the country... We might all be a little raw if that was our life. In this episode, she'll answer questions about the invisible ink letter and whether or not she was acting when she threw a hysterical fit when Washington showed up just days after Benedict's plot was discovered. Who was the first person to make contact with the other side? Was that first contact with Mr. Andre? Do you mean who did Benedict speak with? Yeah. How did this even start? I'm trying to figure it out because if Benedict Arnold is this superstar general and he is just, you had used the word fierce and I mean that is absolutely the perfect way to describe him. I can't even imagine being on the battlefield against him. It just seems strange that the the British would want to speak with him, would even think maybe that he would switch sides. Please allow me to inform you of how I believe they found out about it. The first year of our marriage, we barely spent any time together because he was here and there running all sorts of little missions and going to Washington to speak with Washington or going and to await his court martial, which kept getting postponed because Joseph Reed would seek extensions because he just wanted to dig up more dirt, which he found none. And Arnold wanted it over with, and he just kept delaying it, which was just oh, exacerbating the strife he was feeling immensely. So I cannot recall exactly where he went. I want to say he'd gone to Middlebrook to see Washington, either for the court-martial or it was one of the times where he just went to plead and cry and seek assistance because he was a desperate man at the end of his rope. When he left, going to see General Washington, Joseph Reed loudly and widely spread it around. He and his minions and little underlings who worked with him, like little demons set forth upon Philadelphia, they said of him that he had defected over to the other side, that he had gone over to the British. He was going to spend time with Washington. They told everybody far and wide that he had left and gone to the British side. So he was spreading the rumor before it ever happened? Before, yes. Why are we not hanging Joseph Reed this time? I would have loved to. I thought would be the first step. So, so then, who was the first? Who was the first contact then? Continue. Well, at some point, there were. Well, obviously, General Clinton was in New York at the time, and he had just promoted Major Andre to spy master. I don't know if that's. A, I don't know if that's a promotion or if that is just a new duty, but. Kismet spy master, and it was within two weeks of that. I believe that was the September of maybe not September. It was not very long after he became spy master that he was reached out to. There were some men that acted as go-betweens on 
Benedict's side, there was a merchant here in Philadelphia who had supplied all of Benedict's china and, and things of that nature for the house. Joseph Stansberry, who had close connections with Arnold still, and he sort of floated the idea that there could be a connection made for whatever reason might be needed. And so Arnold spoke with him and agreed that Joseph could reach out to Andre. He was supposed to speak to nobody, but apparently Stansberry wanted to speak with a close friend of his who was in New York, which is where Andre was, Reverend Odell. And the two of them went and spoke to Andre and said that they felt that Benedict had been much maligned and abused and was ready to seek refuge somewhere else, for he was not finding it within the Continental Army. And so then they sent back word. Stansberry came back to us and told Arnold that Andre would like to open communications, and that's how it began, and they began writing each other. I did not write about anything, but they wrote each other. When all of this started, you weren't writing any letters? You weren't, you, are you saying you were not participating in this? I was not. Andre remained friends with his friends in Philadelphia. We all stayed in contact with him. We had a birthday club where we made sure everybody got letters and notes and such on the birthday, and I was were in communication. There, we would write different soldiers and ask for. We couldn't always get goods in Philadelphia if the British were not controlled of the city. You didn't always get the goods you wanted, so we would write to the ones in New York or wherever and ask for things, fabrics, gowns, ribbons, things such as that. So that was just a common practice that we had already had in place. But there was nothing, anything other than friendly talk and requests for goods. So we had been writing, but nothing of a seditious nature. But Andre is now promoted to spymaster, which I think... Well, that not that, that is... we would know, for you do not tell who your spymaster is. That's true. So we did not know that. <laughs> so you didn't get a letter from him? Hey, guess what? Just he did not announce it, no. He did not take out a congratulatory ad in the newspaper <laughs> from Rivington or anybody. That would be He would lose the job immediately, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's a, in the job description. Oh <laughs> you kind of keep quiet about that. He's a smart man. He's a smart man. He, will, he did the job much, in a much better way than that. <laughs> but did you know, though? Because you were at close some point, to him. To Andre or Benedict? Did to I Andre. find out from whom? Andre did not tell me. Benedict did. Benedict told you. He told you that he was spymaster. When you first heard that he was speaking with Andre and that he was seriously considering changing sides. What was your reaction to that? It was layered, I would say. I had not anything that you would wish to seek or be a part of or pursue, even if we were, even if I were a loyalist and, it, and even if he had changed his affiliation and his ideals and such. It's not anything that you want to see anybody pursue for the inherent danger within and the discomfort and displeasure that it's going to cause to everybody, all of us in our home and all of our families and friends. It's not anything that you're going to be joyous over. It is a last measure, a last option. And I had spent the entire time that I knew this man, that I had been married to him, the entire time that we had spent quarantine, which is, at this point has not been very long. He came into Philadelphia in 78, we married 79, and treason plots found out in October 80. This is not a long time together. Those are some fast years. And it's very hard years. And I had spent that short time when we should be getting to know each other and just being exultant in our newfound love and the family that we're making and our future. I spent that time 
fixing his wounds, basically his physical wounds, of course, where he came badly injured, but the emotional wounds and in the heart wounds that he kept enduring and the, the pain and the strife that, that others kept inflicting upon him. I had seen this strong, incredible, fearsome man be beaten down into nearly nothing. And that was a horrible experience to, to witness and to go through with him. I can only imagine what it was to him, the betrayal upon betrayal that he felt. When you see somebody that you love, for I, I, I loved my husband at that time, when you see somebody treated that way, it, does it not change how you feel about circumstances that may, sure. or ideas that you once had? Yeah. And so how could I tell him no? to not go over to this other side that perhaps would at least embrace him for the military leader he is and the, the, the good strategist and the best battlefield general. And also for him to be compensated financially for he was struggling. And that was a difficult and fearsome place for him to be in, to struggle financially that way after what he had been through in his own family growing up. At that time, were you having significant money problems? Yes, indeed. Much of what Joseph Reed had done was hamper him financially. It's not unusual for officers, even generals, to have a, another avenue of income. I said in war for you're not getting paid. And it was even worse. The British were getting paid. Just perhaps sometimes it would be delayed. But for our men, of course, they weren't getting, I don't know what Congress did with the money, but they were all well fed and warm every night and they didn't seem to suffer financially at all. But our officers and generals were all poor and losing all of their money for, they were putting all their money into the war effort. Were not for the money of these men who were already fighting the war. They weren't getting paid, but they were putting all the money that they had saved into the war. Had it not been for them, the war would have been over in a, a month, maybe two, if you were lucky. And wow. so he was damaged financially from the war. Then he had a shipping business and import-export things, goods, and merchant-type deals. And that is what Joseph Reed was going after and claiming that it was unlawful or that it was some sort of cavorting with the enemy, which was not. Everything he did was legal. As I said, it was found to be legal. So he was hit financially again. And for a man who was trying to supply financially for a family that he's just starting, that is a deep wound as well, especially considering the financial contingencies that came along with our engagement. My father had some misgivings about his financial situation at first, and he had to prove himself to my father. So he proved himself, and now suddenly everything is falling apart. That, that is a hard blow. Yeah. How did your father feel about Mr. Arnold? He liked him. He respected him. He thought he was a good man. His only issues about our engagement were that he was worried about his leg that it might not heal fully and what would that cause would it be an issue to where he could never work and obviously put us in financial dire situation or would it get worse the wound was still healing at that time so we didn't know it could kill him for all we knew we weren't sure he was worried about that so he did make him wait until he could bear more weight on it before he could propose so that was one thing that he was concerned about and then also the financial issues where he benedict was honest with him about his situation but he overcame those two things and he didn't have an issue about his character or how he would treat me perhaps he should have considered the latter or we were both fooled but at the time he had no issues with his character he liked him there were so practical concerns 
Yeah. What was his reaction when he found out that you were going to be switching? Well, he did not find out until after Washington found out. He was not aware of anything. We did not involve him for obvious reasons for Joseph Reed and the likes were already trying to attack. He had been attacked numerous times by people, not Joseph Reed specifically, but at this time he was. But previously, before the British had even occupied Philadelphia, that people were attacking him. We had moved out of the city due to it. And they still on the countryside where we were living tried to attack him there and, and tried to arrest him and charge him with what I have no idea, something about being loyalist, which he was not. He had been put through much as well in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was not kind to us at all. Not every person who supported the Continental Forces were this way, but there were some very rabid revolutionaries who, if you were not as rabid as they, then you were a loyalist and they wanted you hanged. In fact, they did hang some people, Joseph Reed did. It was the same time. He was hanging people and hanging Quakers. He's not a good man. <laughs> hanging Quakers? We were lucky. Indeed. Yes. Quakers I, are not very think, violent people, are they? They are not violent. In fact, they, that is one of their core tenets. That is why right. they did not take a side in the war. Yes. Wow. That is what we, that is the environment we were in. So obviously we were not going to even give him a hint of what was happening. And I was worried that it would come back upon him anyway, for he's my father. He could yeah. be implicated just by virtue of being of the same blood. For sure. But he wasn't involved at all, is what you're saying? No, not at all. No. He would not have been supportive of that, and he would have put a stop to it in some way or the other. I don't know how, but he would have found a way. Oh, he would have had strong feelings about that. Indeed. Just, he wanted not to be embroiled in anything. Surely he did not want to be embroiled in treason. If he was worried about taking a side in the war in general, he was not going to support taking yeah, two sides. As you're answering these questions, things, things are getting clearer. I mean, you had said that there's only so much a man can take before before he breaks. And everybody just kept pushing and pushing Mr. Arnold. I can see how eventually you're going to say, all right, if you guys don't want me, I'll go somewhere else. I can see that. And yet there are still some holes in the story that I'd love to hear your answer to because, I, as you said, these are facts. But. So some of the things just don't make sense. For example, I heard that you had a locket of Mr. Andre's hair that he gave you that um, you kept yeah. and maybe even still have. That seems and like a very romantic gesture. Does it? I don't know what things are. And do people not give gifts in your time period? What a bleak, sad time you live in. <laughs> they do give gifts, but when you give a give part gifts? of yourself to somebody, people would consider that romantic, I think. Hey, do not give me a finger. Thank God. A piece of hair. Is that not do a romantic Do people not have gesture? hair to spare? No, it is not. It could be, I suppose. I'm sure we do. In fact, I don't know what you know of our times entirely, but we do have traditions of take mourning jewelry where we have a locket that might have your loved one's face. And when they pass, the other side of it, encased in glass, would be a lock of hair. And you might wear it as a bracelet or a ring or a pendant. It's a piece of jewelry you keep with you. So that, I don't know if that's it's more in memoriam. You do it for a child or any loved one or a good friend. <laughs> there are people that have, many people who have locks of Washington hair. Are you saying that the good general, His Excellency, General Washington above reproaches in many romantic relationships with all of these people, men and women who have his hair? I see what you're saying. So that's not that uncommon. 
No, indeed it's not. It's just a token to remember one by. He gave me a lock of his hair that I wear in a locket. And he was a good friend. He was not just, he was not in Philadelphia even a full year, but yet we all created strong friendships and a true love for one another another in our, our friend group. And love can be not romantic, since you wanted to ask so many times if it's romantic with love, but not romantic love. And so I have kept it, especially considering what has happened to him. But we are forever entwined and I cannot entangle myself from men, nor do I wish to. But yes, I have the locket still. And But he gave other people things on his way out as well. He wrote, I think, Becky Redman. He wrote her song. She enjoyed, that was like a, a good friend of mine. She enjoyed German music. So he wrote her lyrics about her to one of her favorite German songs, Becky Frank. We were the Beckys and the Peggies. So just get ready for names to repeat. Becky Franks, he gave a button off of a waistcoat or one of his jackets. One of the outfits that she particularly thought he looked just dashing in. He gave her a button from that. Peggy Chu, or Meg Chu, as I've called her earlier to not cause so much confusion. She's the Peggy that he was truly particularly involved with, if any of us. He gave her a poem and a silhouette and different things. He gave everybody a piece of himself to be remembered, for we were all close and we had all become like family. Something to remember him by, something that we could touch and think of him and send him maybe pray for him and send wishes his way and for his safety and health. A yeah, soldier wants to be remembered. For sure. I mean, especially by his friends. Indeed. That actually, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so that does make sense. But then you got to ask yourself, so here is this, this very intelligent man who's very charismatic and charismatic enough where he's promoted to the job of spy master. You got to wonder if perhaps... He looked at these people, including you, as assets and that like he was working the people like you to get information in the hopes of turning the direction of the war. As when Mr. Arnold went to the other side, I mean, that, that could have been a big deal. That could have resulted in the capture of General Washington. Is, there possible, is it possible that Andre was working you? I know that I have touted his greatness throughout this entire conversation and his many skills and creativity and just how he is brilliant in so many facets and areas. Are you saying that he was a seer, a fortune teller of some sort? No, I'm not saying he was a fortune teller. Well, I was not. I, I was not acquainted with General Arnold, nor was I close to anybody. I had I admired Washington, but I couldn't say I was close to him. Perhaps my father was friends with him, but I was not close to anyone in the Continental Army at the time that I met Andre and became friends with Andre. So that would be, yep. he would be wasting his time <laughs> unless he could see into the future and see what was going to happen. I see. What I you're dealt saying. with. I believe he was a true friend, and that our experiences were of the nature of just enjoyment together and friendship. He he could have, but how would he know? <laughs> and I was not the one to curate for that job. For I was more of a homebody. I enjoyed being home with my father and learning with him and talking with him and reading with him. I was not a gadfly out and about constantly. I would be a very poor choice. There were other people who were more likely to make many friends <laughs> that you this, could this uh, use. That's why I'm asking these questions, even though they sound awful when they come out of my mouth, because as... You're absolutely right. He would have been able, he would have had to been able to see into the future to think that you were somebody that he should target because that happened before. And so that makes a lot of sense. 
That makes a lot of sense. Indeed. And he would have been better off speaking with one of the secret loyalists in Philadelphia for there are many people who were loyalists, but or they were very patriot, but they kept it close to the chest and did not play those cards out for obvious reasons. Or when one faction came into town, they ran the other out. So if you were best suited to not um, let your feelings be known, but someone like Andre, if you were a secret loyalist, you would tell him and he would be better suited to speak with one of them and try to work them, as you say, because they would be more useful to him than I could have ever been. I was 16 when he met me and 17 when he left. I was not useful. <laughs> you keep saying that the way. word mastermind. You weren't the 16-year-old mastermind, huh? I was not. I was very interested in dresses and learning and music and boys, obviously, boys and men. I did enjoy the attention I got from them. I was not attempting any sort of secret greatness at that age. My focus was being married. Becky Redman was our friend in our friend group of the Beckys and the Peggies. And, but when she was not around or if she was just out of earshot, we all said we did not want to be like Becky Redman for she was in her mid twenties and not yet married. So my focus was on making a good match. It was you, difficult you, you, because the men kept coming and going. They didn't stay in one place. You, you've mentioned the music several times. Do you sing, play instruments? Do you have hobbies like that? I don't excel at any of them. In fact, instead of the girls playing music, Andre played music for us, which was a nice change because you know, we were being entertained for once instead of having to entertain the men. But I did learn a harpsichord and are required to learn how to sing. I can't say that I'm the greatest. I'm not the worst, but I would also probably be Becky Redman. But... So every time I ask you a question, you have an answer for it that makes absolute sense. And it's everything is getting much clearer. Another confusing thing that has happened in our time. We have a letter in our time. It is a letter that is written in your handwriting. And underneath... I wrote many letters. Yes. Well, this particular letter had your handwriting on it. But your handwriting and what you wrote on that is written over invisible ink. That was a letter from your husband. It's hard to imagine that this would be something that you didn't know about because you would have had to carefully write over what he wrote over, which would imply that you were involved in the these traitorous activities and the spying. Is that something that you did frequently, write letters like this? What was the nature of that ink again? Well, it's invisible ink, and basically it's ink that you write with that you can't read until some whoever receives the letter applies some sort of chemical to it, making it possible to mm. read it. Are you familiar with this? I, indeed, and it was invisible to me. I see. So you don't know of this? I do know now, after the fact, I know. Yes, I know that they would put an A on the letter if it meant to be shown with acid or an F for fire. Of course, you don't throw it into a fire. You would hold it over a candle and they would reveal the hidden ink. But at the time, I did not know about it. You were I could not see it because I did not add acid nor flame hmm. before I wrote my letters. I was given the paper. I was given and I wrote upon it. I wonder how many people received that letter and they saw the F and they're like, oh, good. Throw this one in the fire, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read they it were... anymore. It they were work. not spy masters either, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why everybody didn't have the he, job of spy minister, because they didn't figure that indeed. out. He wrote on it first in whatever method he was applying, the invisible ink, whichever type that they were using at that time. And then I wrote my letter. I couldn't see it. It was not the other way around. I see. So you, just, you didn't know about it. Okay. All right. So know. there was a time. 
And I'm going to give you some specific dates. And those dates are, my understanding, September 21st, 1780 is when Benedict Arnold met Andre. And they mm -hmm. traded documents about what's coming. If I have my dates right. Uh, you and do. Two days later, on the 23rd, that's when Andre was caught. And then the question that I want to ask you is that two days later, that's when General Washington was supposed to meet with Andre. Or no, was supposed to meet with your with husband. Arnold. Yeah. Yes. He's supposed to meet with Mr. Arnold. Yeah. Were you there when that happened? Was he there when that happened? What did that, <laughs> how did that go down? Do you just wish to know about that morning or the many ways that they followed things up in the previous two days? Please start at the beginning. How they followed it up. Well, the whole entire, I had just gotten there, maybe the 15th. I was not there many days. It had been a lovely stay so far. I'd spent the time with our, well, not, I say our aides. They were Benedict's aides, military aides. They were close to me. They were good friends. We would spend the afternoons picnicking with the baby out in the field. That was lovely at Robinson House there at West Point. And, but there was tension growing with Benedict and his two aides for they thought he was getting mixed up in some bad merchant business, the type of things that Reed had accused him of with this man, Joshua Het Smith. He lived just down the river from us. What they were figuring out and did not know that he'd already met with them, they were, Joshua Het Smith was involved in trying to arrange a meeting with Andre. In fact, there had been a huge fight. I maybe it was the 20th at dinner. It was shortly after I arrived. It, everything was tense with those three. It erupted into such a fierce fight that I don't know if you and your time know this lovely fact about me, but I have, since I was young, suffered from nervous fits. Are you familiar with nervous fits in general? I think. I get overcome with emotion, I suppose, is a way to describe it, and I shake, and I cannot control my body, I cannot control my feelings, talking about it is making me feel it, even my chest is tightening, I feel as if I cannot breathe, and I am prone to fainting, in any case, a terrible fit, and it can leave me in bed for hours or a day or two, their tension and their fighting caused me to have one of these hysterical fits that night, and then the following night is when Benedict went and met Andre. He did not tell me where he was going, which is for the best. What little I knew, I knew, as I have said, that I knew what he was doing, and I was not going to dissuade him from it. I did not know he was meeting with Andre. I do now. I now know that they met, and I also know that General Clinton had given Andre very specific roles to follow, three of them, and he failed to do any of them. He was not to change clothing. And when they got to Joshua Hetsmith, there was issues with the meeting and they met later. And then the boat, the vulture, it's called, what a lovely name, the ship, the vulture that had brought Andre that he was supposed to leave back on, it got scared away by some men from West Point had spotted it and had shot some warning shots. So it had gone down the river and he couldn't go to it. So Arnold instructed him to stay at Mr. Smith's house. That was one thing he wasn't supposed to do. And he also then took those documents that you mentioned from Arnold. He was told to not take any papers. The third thing he was told not to do, he did the next day, and that was to go out of uniform. For if you are caught behind enemy lines and you are a soldier or an officer and you are not in your military uniform, that automatically is considered espionage. 
So just by virtue of being in not his uniform, he was in danger. And he did that. He changed clothes. He did not have far to go. They thought he would be fine. I do not know why <laughs> my brilliant friend, who was skilled in so many ways, took the advice of Arnold and Mr. Smith and did those three things. But that ultimately, and a series of events that just misaligned in such a terrible way, led to him being captured. Arnold was back the morning of the 21st, he was there, and we were preparing for Washington to come with his men, his military family, as he calls them, his aides de camp and close officers, to come and have breakfast at Robinson House. I was helping prepare that and tending to our baby. Colonel Varick had fallen terribly ill, so I was also busy tending to him horribly ill, and I was trying to take care of him as well. It's funny because they always called Colonel Franks, our other aide, the nurse, because he was so attuned to my health issues and those nervous fits. He was a constant nurse to me, and now I was having to nurse Barrick. So it was a busy morning, and Arnold was extra tense. And a messenger came with a letter, and apparently that letter said that Arnold had been captured. He did not tell me that he was leaving and you leaving. Mean, uh, you mean Andre had been captured? Andre, yes. Their names are very similar. <laughs> no, but that does not mean that I, I was romantic with Andre just because I mixed his name up with my husband. Okay. <laughs> so, so that is another piece of evidence, please, when I feel that I finally convinced you that we were very close friends and not seriously romantic. Okay, all right. He found out that Andre had been captured. That was his fault as well for, I do not think, Major Talmadge, I believe he was a major at the time, he could have been a captain. I can't remember. I don't believe he would have put two and two together for my husband and Andre wrote under pseudonyms. I don't think we discussed that yet. Andre yep. was John Anderson, which I think is a terrible pseudonym for John. It's the same name and Anderson sounds quite like Andre, but he yeah, wrote yeah. under that. He also wrote under Lothario at times, but I suppose he thought that was too fanciful at this point in the plot. My husband had been Mr. Monk that or just Monk and a Mr. Moore, and he had chosen Gustavus. And I'm not sure at that time what he was going by, but he had told Major Talmadge, should he encounter a John Anderson, to send him on to West Point because he was a friend. So then when Major Talmadge was stopped by these men who had caught this random man out on the road that had papers, and he was told his name was John Anderson. They had sent him away. I'm not sure where they had sent him, but it, he would have gotten away. Major Talmadge, also very clever, which I suppose is why he was the spy master as well on that side. He figured out something was not right for what Arnold had said to him did not sound right. And now that he had found out that this very man had been captured and with papers, obviously something is afoot. So he had sent for him. And perhaps had Arnold not given him that bit of information beforehand, Andre would have been fine. So while Washington, it is confusing, so much happens all in this one short span of time. As Washington is coming to our house, Arnold is getting word that Andre has been captured and that Major Talmadge is suspicious. And they are coming. He is having that prisoner brought to West Point as well. And now Major Talmadge is coming there. Arnold flees. He leaves on the Vulture, which is the ship that was supposed to take Andre. Now it's taking Arnold because Andre has not made it there. And I'm there with the sick Colonel Varick, my baby, and waiting on General Washington. So Mr. Arnold was not in, in the home when General Washington showed up. Is that correct? 
Indeed, he was not. He had already left and gone down to the docks. He must have hobbled quite quickly on that bum leg, and he boarded the vulture and left us behind on the good mercy of the general. So wh- how did General believe. Washington react? I was not at breakfast with him. I began to get worried when Arnold did not return. Also, I was tending to Varick, so that was, gave me reason to be away. I did not eat breakfast with him. Colonel Varick was ill. I was tending to him, and I had my baby to take care of. And so I begged my apologies and went off to take care for them. But I was already tense. I wasn't sure what was happening. I was not informed, but I also knew something was not right. And I could not bear being around this group of men in that state. They were all good friends of ours. My husband was General Arnold. I had been in the company of Hamilton and Lafayette and General Washington often. In fact, they joked often with Lafayette that he was in love with me. And I I believe I had been told that Washington was running late that day. Something had happened at their previous stop. I don't remember. They were inspecting troops somewhere, I believe. And he had told Lafayette to leave and go ahead of him, for he knew that he was anxious to be in the company of the beautiful Miss Arnold. And so we were all close friends, but yet I knew something was not going right. And obviously I knew Arnold's plan, and so I felt conflicted about that anyway. So I did not want to be in their company for an extended period of time. I excused myself to go and take care of Colonel Derrick and the baby. And it was not terribly long later that the messenger came in and told Washington what was happening. And everything descended into chaos at that moment. Well, and that's what I heard. I heard at that I heard at that time that you threw some sort of fit and had some no sort good. of breakdown and some people think that was to cover Benedict Arnold's tracks. Well, I am so happy that this portion of the tale has survived. Is that is this part true? It is, but it's not anything that anybody has spoken about. I just did tell you that I suffer from a nervous condition and I have nervous fits and fainting spells and I cannot control the overwhelming nature of my emotions in a bad situation. And yes, that is what happened. I, it was common knowledge that I suffered from that my entire life. And do you think that if you were there with your practically newborn babe, your husband has committed treason and has apparently left you and the man who you were close friends with has been captured and now the men that you have betrayed, the leader of the military, is in your home. You have nobody to defend you. How might you feel in that moment? Oh, man, you're absolutely that? right. I, and if it, you're already prone, if you're prone to having unmanageable emotion in dire circumstances, that definitely qualifies to to cause one. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I can't think of a condition where somebody would be more likely to feel that way. I mean, that is that would be completely overwhelming for absolutely anybody. So you then had a conversation with Washington. What was his reaction as you lost it in that moment? Well, when I lost it, he was, I don't know, for it was not in my mind. I do know he was uncomfortable just because I know the man and I know that it was an uncomfortable situation for him. And I'm very thankful that he is a good man. I am glad that he is a kind man for he saw that I was taken care of. He did speak with me later once I was recovered as best as one could in such a circumstance. His aides, Lafayette and Hamilton, both sat at my bedside nearly constantly, keeping me company and worrying over me and bringing me flowers and food and and telling me tales. Hamilton kept saying strange declarations such as he wished that he was my brother so that he could have right to defend me, things of that nature. I 
the point that I had nothing to worry about for they were more than kind and they were more than sometimes too helpful perhaps but Arnold Raven as he is he sent word he was safe in New York he was out of their reach so he was quite safe but he wrote Washington and he didn't really apologize I guess he explained himself a bit and he asked for clothing to be sent which I thought was a bit much for someone to ask and Washington did have somebody pack up some of Arnold's items to be delivered. He's a good man. He is a very good man. He also sent a letter. I would have been very upset had he asked for clothing and not asked for my safe passage, but he said that his wife was innocent as an angel. She had nothing to do with it. Please make sure that she's taken care of and safe. And Washington, again, being a good man, he did. And they, they spoke with me at length many times, and they found me to be innocent. They wrote their opinions and sent it out and told people that I were to be treated as I was innocent for I was. Philadelphia apparently did not get that letter, or I suppose since they never choose to listen to Washington anyway, they just chose not to listen to him this time either. How in the world did you manage to to deal with these changes in your life so quickly? I mean, one minute your father's complaining because you have too many pretty dresses, and the next minute you are in the most epic middle of this treasonous, scandalous situation. It is amazing that you didn't have a nervous breakdown and end, end up in an in insane asylum. Indeed, I did. It's what they've been telling you about. <laughs> I just recovered from it, I suppose. I don't know that they have places where they send women of that disposition, <laughs> I, I suppose. But perhaps, uh, should Washington have not been as kind and good a man as he was, Perhaps that would have been my fate. Oh, I suppose it would have been worse. I would have been hanging next to Andre. I wonder if Lafayette topic. and Hamilton were so kind to you because you were under the protective wing of General Washington. I think they're good in their own right, and they believe me. So I, they had been friends and acquaintances before that. And so I think they had their own fondness for me, aside from Washington. But surely his feelings regarding me certainly helped. Indeed, but I don't think that was the only reason. We had our own our own friendships. I did hear that he wrote quite a letter to his own wife about me, which I found interesting. Oh, Hamilton wrote a letter to his wife about you? Indeed. Hamilton gets himself in trouble by writing sometimes, doesn't he? Unfortunately, I've heard he does. <laughs> yes. He oh, writes ahead, a lot. Ahead. He writes often. No, he writes constantly, so I assume at some point you're going to write something that is going to be a problem. Was there a time where... And I seem to remember there was a time where the two governments were trying to trade Andre for your husband. I don't know if the two governments were trying. Hamilton surely was. He was his representative, his attorney, so to speak, his barrister. And he was trying, but he was going beyond what he was asked to do in that capacity. He was writing to General Clinton asking if we could send him back Andre and have Arnold. And sadly, that I probably should not say that, but that did not occur. I believe Washington was upset with him for that. He was not authorized to do that. Do you wish they would have made that trade? At times, yes. I feel, I, I assume my husband would have been executed. I can't, I can't imagine that Washington would have been lenient considering the circumstances. Perhaps he would have because he's one of his and he knows what he's been through. I wonder of his goodness if it would extend that that far for his friend or if the betrayal i was told by lafayette that he even wept at my house washington did so i don't know if that man oh. a man that was brought to weeping <laughs> would find it in his heart to be lenient i feel 
that Andre was the most innocent in this situation and he did not deserve to be executed. He did not deserve what happened to him. And honestly, had he followed General Clinton's rules, he would have been fine for, had he been over on, under, on the enemy side, as it were, but in his uniform and not carrying papers, he would have been fine. They treat officers well. He might have been taken as prisoner, but he would not have been hanged. That was Arnold's fault. General Arnold, if he had not been in the picture, would Mr. Andre, would he have been the kind of guy that you would have wanted to marry? Well, everybody wanted to marry Andre. <laughs> everybody <laughs> loved him. Even the men loved him. Even the men who voted to hang him loved him. They wept. Hamilton was a wreck. He wrote so much about Andre to his wife and to his friends and spoke so much about him. Even Hamilton's wife was enamored with him. Andre had been prisoner. He was captured so long ago at Fort St. John in Canada. I think it was about the time that right before the military went into the Valley Forge encampment, Andre was captured then. That's actually when I first met John Andre. He'd been captured. He was put on a prison ship, but only for three months. And then he was released often with officers. When you're captured, they will, this is what I think would have happened to him had he not been out of uniform and hadn't been carrying papers. He would have been captured. He would have been sent to a rural town and told you can go within a radius of six miles or so of this place. And that is your imprisonment for however, whatever length of time. He had already endured that. He first went to the prison ship and then he was sent to Albany, to General Schuyler's house. And that is where he met Elizabeth Schuyler, who at this time, when he had been captured, was Hamilton's wife or about to be his wife. And she was quite enamored with him as well. Everybody who met him loved him, whether platonically or wanted to be in a romantic relationship with him. You wanted, he was the man you wanted in your life. And I met him when he was at, released from Schuyler's home. He was sent to Lancaster, which is where my grandfather lived. He crossed through Philadelphia at that time, and he was at the Franks' house, Becky Franks, one of the Beckys, my best friend, and I met her there. He was doing business with Becky's father, David, and that's when we had first met. He had already been prisoner, and we and the Continental Forces had released him, and I believe that's what would have happened had he listened to General Clinton and not my husband. I just have a couple last questions, and I just thank you for clearing all of this up because I have a totally different picture of what what I thought was true and what I now know is true. But just a couple last questions. My understanding is that you had an uncle that was the signer of the Declaration of Independence. Indeed. Isn't it strange that the in the history of the United States, if there is one person that is known for, I mean, that is the definition of treason, it is your husband and yet your uncle was part of the creation of the nation. This is not more odd that General Arnold, who was a son of liberty and was at the Continental Convention with Washington when they formed this army, is it not more odd that he was caught up in such a thing? Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Looking back at all of this, everything that happened, are there any specific things that you wish you would have done differently? How can there not be? <laughs> so many. I don't know where to begin. I, indeed, I, it's difficult to say. I don't know if I would have married Arnold. Is that right? That would have been the thing maybe you would have changed? If you were not expecting such a revelation. <laughs> no. I appreciate your honesty, <laughs> but maybe that wasn't the best choice, huh? It, indeed, I feel 
I think I would not seek to be part of a, a plot of treason, and I would not seek for my husband. For as I said, it, it is too dangerous, and there's too much at stake. We I do wish things had been different for us, if not because of that. I, though I do ache for John Andre, such a good man and a good friend, a loss for the world, not just for our personal group of friends. Much loved by everybody, and I there are times where I was so angry with Arnold for his death, and how could I not be? I did not blame Washington, even though he could have pardoned him. He could have at least given him a decent death when he chose not to. That's not Washington or the military courts fault. I blame Arnold. Uh, obviously, Andre made his decisions, but he was just doing his job. There were times where that that was enough for me to wish I'd never married him, but he betrayed Washington, but he also betrayed me later in life. So, you, Life definitely would have been easier had you gone a different route. No question about that. Indeed. When you went back to England, were you treated well? I understand you had an audience with the Queen. Indeed. Queen Charlotte was wonderfully lovely woman. She was uh, very welcoming to us. We were presented at court. The people were instructed to be welcoming and cordial and nice to us. Uh, Queen Charlotte, maybe she treated me as a pet. I don't know. <laughs> she was quite <laughs> an oddity. I don't know. I can't eat royalty. They are odd themselves, so it is hard to determine their motivations and how they treat you. She was quite close to me for quite some time. She was, I had, she was lovely. King George was kind to us. Everybody was fine for all, but <laughs> the catch to it all, I suppose, is if you are capable of treason once, you are capable of it again. And so there is a lack of trust on people. So when the novelty of your presence wears off, then they start becoming a bit suspicious and wondering this and that, and it feels that they cannot fully trust you. And that obviously burdens any relationship you try to form. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm guessing that you never shook that off. No, indeed, we did not, even though he defected to their side, even though he <laughs> did what he did for them. It still is a stain upon your character. Yeah. Gosh. Well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to clear all this up because it, it is much clearer. It doesn't appear to me that you were the mastermind trying to disrupt the creation of a new nation or have anybody hung or killed or any of that. It just kind of seemed like you're in the middle of all of it. And I just appreciate you taking the time to clear this up. And however many years you have left, I hope that they are good years and easy years and you get a little bit of rest after all that you've had to deal with. Indeed, and I appreciate it. And as I said, it is quite funny that women are incapable of anything until a good man does wrong and then suddenly it is the responsibility of a woman all on her shoulders and her doing suddenly everybody is an eve offering an apple no truer words have ever been said <laughs> thank you again for your time thank you very much now that you've heard the whole story is it even possible that she was the mastermind behind this treason plot not likely i know these were different times but I also know teenagers. Were the teenagers of that time, especially women of that era, capable of this level of duplicity? Doubtful. It seems very clear to me that Peggy was not driving anything. She very well might have been the victim. Did she know about what was going on? Yeah, probably. But did she push Benedict over the edge? Not likely. After all, if she was this bold, power-hungry woman that could manipulate men so easily, then where did those superpowers go later in her life?
Why didn't she use them later? As of this recording, she's living alone in London. Last year, she had to sell her belongings when her husband died, and she died a couple years later alone. It's hard to say for sure, but it seems more believable that Benedict was unhappy with the treatment he received from Congress and the lack of respect from jealous generals wanting to claim recognition for his victories. When she heard these complaints, it would only be normal for her to support her husband, which was all Benedict needed to make his own decisions. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. I'm not going to tell you who's next, but I will tell you it's fantastic. And it's someone you know, but probably know nothing about. I'm Tony Dean, and until next time, I'm History. History.